ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald. It's Friday, October 9th, 2015. And today's show is a real treat. We are talking to David Bradford, and he is the author of a book called Up Your Game, Six Timeless Principles for Networking Your Way to the Top. And David, I am just so delighted to have you as my guest. Welcome. I, I deeply appreciate being on the show and uh, certainly enjoyed the personal interaction that we had recently in Utah. Thanks for coming out and meeting with me personally. Well, that was such a, a great experience that afternoon, and I, I knew you were going to be a little bit pressed for time, so I certainly didn't expect uh, the the full walkthrough of meeting your wife and hearing all about her amazing business. And uh, I think we're probably going to schedule another show where we can get her on because uh, she's doing some incredible things in the field of learning and and uh, especially with language and the use of virtual communities. And uh, I think that would be great fun. Yeah, you bet. And, and then, of course, I got to see you fly fishing in your backyard and golfing in, in your amazing man cave where you've got your own personal, uh, uh, I don't even know what you call it, but, but well, I got to see you we, golf, which was amazing. Brad, it's the Bradford Golf House, and we, you know, I am not a big skier. I, I did a little skiing as a youth, but uh, I'm not really a snow guy, and Utah, of course, is known for its skiing and whatnot, and we love it here, but... Uh, gosh, if I'm going to live in Utah during the winters, I've got to go uh, be able to play golf and something very close. So we build a golf house. So we've got <laughs> Pebble Beach and uh, Spyglass and uh, some, you know, uh, even St. Andrews, the old course. Wonderful. Well, it was certainly those. a first for me to see that, but it was great fun. And again, uh, your hospitality that day was uh, greatly appreciated. You know, I have just been fascinated as I've been, uh, you know, taking a look through your book and, you know, listening to a, a little bit of, about what brought this all about. Uh, the introduction to the book is a story that you tell uh, called From Bottle Cap Kid to CEO. Can you give us the thumbnail of that, David? Oh, sure. Um, you know, my brother and I, uh, growing up in Burbank, California in the early 50s, uh, we really didn't have access to all of the fun video games that kids have now and so forth. And so we'd find bottle caps on the streets of Burbank. And World War II had just ended in 1945, and this is seven, eight, nine years later. And um, so we started a, ga a game called Bottle Cap Wars, and we would find, you know, the 7-Up Bottle Caps and the Orange Nesbits and the Royal Crown Colas and the Coca-Colas, <laughs> and they would do battle together, and we would uh, we would press them down, and we stole my mom's vacuum cleaner hose. We would roll marbles down onto the uh, armies, and we would see which one of those uh, brands would withstand the uh, onslaught of the marbles. And so <laughs> that was bottle cap wars. And so, uh, oh gosh, 45, 50 years later, uh, even more than that, almost 60 years later, I was giving a speech in the south of England and my wife, or my sister actually was 
the host for that conference. And as she got up uh, and, uh, you know, she had my bio and all the fun stuff that I've done and so forth, she didn't read any of it. She got up and she says, my brother, the keynote speaker today, he's a business executive and I only know him as the bottle cap kid. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so that kind of, as I was flying back, I remember uh, from England, I thought, you know what, as I'm writing this book, that would kind of be a fun little piece to have in. And so I went from the bottle cap kid uh, to uh, technology CEO. Well, the amazing thing about the story is not only the creativity of coming up with the game, but you had a, a supply and demand problem that you also uh, ended up having to solve, and, and that's you, you didn't have enough bottle caps, and when you would right. go to the store to get them, uh, you know there were only a few in, in the cap dispenser, and so you had to do uh, what I'm assuming was one of your first major negotiations, but certainly <laughs> not the last of your life. Right. It was what well, it illustrates my show up principle. Sometimes you just have to show up and be bold in life. And Joe was this guy that ran Joe's Market in Burbank, California on Mag- Magnolia Boulevard back then. And he was an intimidating character. He'd have these, you know, giant opera playing in the background. And he was a big gruff guy. And I finally had to ask him if I could have the bottle cap dispenser and you know i was so scared at the age of five or six asking him if i could have access to his bottle caps and of course he was just throwing them anyway throwing them away and so uh yeah i learned to uh be bold and we got our bottle caps and uh we had uh, lots of fun for years playing bottle cap wars <laughs> well, you know, we learned so much in those early days and you also tell the story about uh your dad coming home And uh, you you talked about how he came home one day and said that you were all moving to Montana. And I moved around a lot as a kid, and I know that that moving, you know, really made me resilient and adaptable and flexible. So you talk about these up principles, and I think it really is so fascinating. And I want to dive into that, but I really do want to do justice to to your background. And I don't want to read your bio. I really would, would love to just hear you talk us through the early part of your career, you know, through right up uh, really to right. today. And I know that there's a lot in between there, but, but I think it's so important for people to understand the perspective that you bring in sharing these principles with us today. Well, sure. Um, so my dad was an alcoholic, and uh, we struggled a lot in Montana after we moved up there. Uh, lived on church welfare for a few years, and uh, it, it was hard. Uh, we had seven kids in the family, and God bless Dad, just a wonderful man, but didn't really know how to run a business. And uh, so I had to find my way to college and university and law school all on scholarship and, and those sorts of things. And those were lean years, but we got through law school and I graduated in 1977 from the BYU Law School in Provo, Utah. And then uh, my wife, who was originally from Southern California, as was I, uh, we decided we were going to find our fame and fortune in Southern California. And so we moved there in 1977 and started with a law firm down there. Uh, 1980, I found myself uh, as a lawyer in the computer industry. And um, that was a great, great blessing because I found a, a market uh, place that I loved 
in terms of innovation and creativity and a place to apply my um, legal skills. And so, gosh, from 1977 to really 2000, I was a lawyer in the computer industry and I was uh, started um, the Copyright Protection Fund and different things that became national phenomenon over the years. We uh, developed the first patent software uh, program, uh, organized software program, and those sorts of things. And uh, I was general counsel, I guess, uh, for Novell for 15 years from 1985 to 2000. And in 2000, I turned 50 and decided I wanted to do some other things. And I uh, got more involved on the business side. I also had a master's in business administration. So I got involved uh, more on the business side. And then uh, came to run companies like Fusion IO in the state of Utah that we took public on the New York Stock Exchange in 2011. Uh, I then became CEO of a, another great tech company called HireVue that we've raised about oh, close to $100 million for. And uh, then I retired again. And now I'm just deeply involved as chairman of the board of my wife's 3D virtual immersive world technology company and uh, so forth. And so was uh, recently inducted into the Utah Technology Hall of Fame. And uh, I've just been blessed to, to be surrounded by great people over the years that kind of boosted me up uh, and helped me uh, achieve what I've accomplished. Well, I tell you, it's just an amazing story, and, and uh, you know, it was so much fun being at your house and, and sitting with you and seeing you with your Mac, and of course, I've, I've been a Mac user since the early 80s, and, uh, you know, I noticed that telltale signature on the front of your Mac. Why don't you right. tell us a little bit about that? Well, Steve Wozniak uh, became a dear friend. Um, oh, in 2008, um, I uh, met him at a conference and we got to chatting about a solid-state storage company that I was affiliated with, Fusion IO, and I later became CEO of that company, and he later became my chief scientist. Uh, and so, you know, people know me as the man that found the Woz. Uh, <laughs> Post Apple and uh, so forth, but uh, just a dear, dear man, a brilliant technologist, and um, added great value to us as as chief scientists for Fusion IO. Mostly these days, in all honesty, Steve is uh, mostly a um, doesn't do a lot of the programming or the coding, but certainly has a vision for where we are headed and uh, provided high level uh, advice to us over time, but. Uh, so that's been a great relationship, and uh, yeah, God bless Steve Wozniak. What a wonderful guy. And in fact, now that I'm thinking about it, tonight is the new Steve Jobs uh, movie that comes out, and according to Woz, the, uh, uh, he says it's pretty darn accurate. So, really? Uh, really? I, I have yeah. read uh, a lot of uh, conflicting stories that say that you know some of it uh, is taking quite a lot of license, but I'm, I'm such a fan uh, Steve Jobs that, you know, I, I had uh, determined that I was going to go see it anyway. Right. Well, enjoy. Well, let's let's dive right into the up principles because that's really uh, what, what this show is all about. And, you know, I really love how you've woven this all together. And now, you know, it's funny. I, I loved the simplicity of the cover of your book, but I just realized that it's bottle caps that are forming the word up. Yes. I, there you, you know, go. It's, 
it's like the the FedEx logo or Northwest Airlines logo. You know, you can look at something and not realize and it. Not but realize what's what's really behind it. Yeah, it's all of those uh, bottle caps that make up the uh, signage for. Oh, how very uh, clever! I I absolutely love that. I can't take credit for that. Some smart person came up with that idea, but it, it worked out nicely. It sure did. It sure did. So the first principle in the book is to start up. And, and having been in lots of startup businesses, of course, that's what comes to mind when I see that. But, but this is really about just kind of getting off the dime and getting going. You know, it's interesting. I gave a keynote speech last night to the BYU Alumni Association, about 200 people. It was a wonderful event. I got an email back today, and it was from one of the, uh, you know, senior students in the audience who's uh, part of the, you know, President's Council or something at BYU. And I loved his comment. The way he said it is, you hit me with an atom bomb last night. And... um I think what it, it was finally kind of came to grips with this term networking that so much gets abused and misused over time. And so when I tell people about how you network your way to the top, the first principle as you start up that network is to first think of other people. Do not think about yourself. You go right. to a business conference, look for those people that need the help. Find out what's going on in their life. Ask them penetrating questions. You know, what's, what's the passion in your life? What's the biggest business problem that you're facing? And you go about trying to help them. And as you do that, there's something called the law of reciprocity in the universe that comes into play. And people then feel this intuitive desire to want to give back. And so I talk a lot about giving first with no thought of getting. Well, and, you know, it really comes through. And, and the day that we were sitting together in your living room, you know, you were so gracious in, in offering, you know, to, to help me. It really took me aback because I, I didn't expect that. But now that I have read your book, I know that that is absolutely who you are. And it's been so much fun watching you and following you, you know, whether it be on Facebook or, or other other social media. And, uh, you know, just watching how you interact every day of your life in that same way. And, and the thing that's so amazing, David, and I'm not even sure you appreciate it about yourself, is that it is just so genuine because it's baked into your DNA and you can tell. Well, you're so kind. Well, it, it's not uh, something it's that you, you can put on. You know, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to do this. <laughs> you can go through the motions, right. but eventually it begins to permeate who you are. You know, I suppose it's a little bit from my mother who's just a giver, 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 and she's 92 now, and she's just a fireball. Everybody loves Kay Bradford. She's just a sensational individual, and so I, I get some of that DNA from her, I suppose. But, you know, it came to the floor last night as I, I gave this keynote speech, and I showed people a little bit about my virtual world technology and so forth, and they were loving it. And I had a wonderful line of people that came up after the, the speech, and there's a little group in Idaho that needed some help, and I was, you know, helping them and giving them some business counsel and advice on what they were doing. And then there was a young student that had a few questions, and then about the seventh guy in line came up to me and he says, I want to help you. 
He says, oh, that's all right. I don't really need the help. He says, no, you're introducing your new virtual world technology through educational institutions. I have a database of 2 million teachers in the United States, and I am going to send an email to all 2 million teachers with a link to your new website. Oh, David, how wonderful. It was kind of like, oh, my gosh. You know, so and so that's my point. You know, as I gave these people counsel and advice and tried to help them in any way I could, here was a man that felt like, okay, I'm going to reciprocate. And so, in fact, I'm meeting with him again tomorrow morning. He's from San Diego. He's going to be up here for a couple of days and wants to get together and learn more. But, my gosh, that was just a wonderful happenstance that – I really didn't anticipate last night after the speech. Oh, that is so great. You know, you start the book really talking about how this whole issue of networking is easier than you think. And and you mentioned different kinds of networking, and you've talked about, you know, going to networking events. And I can tell you uh, that while I can stand in front of an audience of 500 people and easily, again, give a keynote or or introduce someone or or run a panel, when I walk into a local networking event where people are handing out their business cards, I literally freeze. And I don't know what it is about it, um, but just the simple suggestions of the kinds of questions that you just gave to us is so, so helpful. And, you know, I know the other side of what you talk about in that introductory chapter is really about online networking. And, you know, it is done so badly by so many people <laughs> that that to hear right. some, some similar nuggets about uh, how you use the online tools uh, I think would be super useful. Well, I guess if I had to boil it down a little bit is – Make it personal. So many people will just see someone that they want to connect with, and so LinkedIn gives them an automatic little button that they can click, I want to connect with you on LinkedIn. And so you get this kind of blank, blah, whatever, I want to connect with you on LinkedIn. But you don't know anything about the person's background. You don't know why they want to connect with you. And so I emphasize to everybody I talk to, you have got to make that initial invitation very personal. I remember some years ago when I first connected with Malcolm Gladwell, the famous author, uh, it was all about his track and field career. People listening to this call, they're going, Malcolm Gladwell, track and field? What? You know? <laughs> no, I went and did research on Malcolm Gladwell and learned that as a high school miler in a small town in Canada – Many, many years ago, Malcolm Gladwell set the Canadian high school record of like four minutes and 15 seconds in the mile run. And so when I started to connect with Malcolm, I was talking to him about track and field, something that he was deeply interested in. And so find something personal about them. Maybe they went to the same college. Maybe they're a Michigan Wolverine. You know, maybe they read a book or have a book posted on their website that you love or something Make it personal. And also, when you comment, don't just like someone's, you know, photo. Comment on it. Make a personal comment on it. You know, it's easy to press the like button or the endorsement button, but it's far different if you can actually write a recommendation for somebody or comment personally in a personalized way. And so I always make it a practice to do that. 
Absolutely. And and the way that you've structured your book, first of all, I mean, it, it's just, it's so intensely practical. It's simple and it's practical. It's very deep. It's got a lot of really deep truths. But uh, at the end of chapter one, uh, it actually lays out a game plan and, and helps people figure out how they can get started, you know, because it, if you haven't been doing it up until now, you really can't be haphazard. And, you know, people say to me, oh, well, you know, I, I think I should have a Twitter account. It's like, well, if you don't know right. why you should or you shouldn't, chances are you shouldn't do it. Uh, right. Because you really have to have something else going on other than Twitter. Uh, you know, Twitter isn't the foundation of social networking. Right, right. Well, I, I just think that the practice, and I'm glad you picked that up. Every chapter I end up with giving six, seven, or eight very specific tips of what people can do. I think one of them is, oh, where do I start building my network? Well, go to that wedding list, you know, that you wrote, you know, many, many years ago. That's your initial network, those 200 people. So reach out to them, connect with them on LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. Other people will also be on this call that are probably the shyest people in the room. And they'll, oh, I could never have 15,000 LinkedIn connections or I could never, you know, accomplish what you have in terms of connecting with people. No, you can, and here's how you do it. Simply be curious. Ask questions. Be interested in the other people. Anybody can ask questions. You simply learn that skill of asking a few questions and the rest will take care of itself. Because people love to talk about themselves. You're asking me a series of questions right now. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm reciprocating. And as I do that, we form deeper connections. And as those connections form, trust forms, and then business can accelerate out of that. Right. And that's really the amazing thing is, is that if you start backwards and try to accelerate your business first, there just isn't a foundation. And I, I love your, your um, suggestion about the, the wedding list, although mine was 25 years ago and I'm not sure I even remember who all I invited to my wedding. But um, I have a habit of, I keep a, a leather notebook that, you know, as I fill one up, I go and buy another one at Barnes and Noble. And so I'll keep uh, notes as I'm having phone calls or as I'm having meetings. And, you know, somebody will say, oh, you need to contact so-and-so, and I'll jot down that name. Well, I occasionally will see that stack of books, and it always overwhelms me because I think, oh, man, I need to read back through those. But you know what I do now? I go through with a highlighter and highlight all the names that I find, and I go and, and link to them. And some of these books are from 10 years ago. And so it, it's Fantastic. really the same principle, but it's so much fun to reconnect with people who you had a reason to have business 10 years ago, and you don't really have that same reason today. Yeah, no, that and that actually goes to my third principle. So you start up, you show up, you follow up. That's where uh, people fall down. I am telling you, I always challenge my audience, and I will challenge anyone listening to this podcast today to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. I, but I would really like you to send me a more personalized message because I won't know you and uh, typically. And so as you do that, uh, but follow up. Today or tomorrow, because I guarantee you, a week from now, if you send me something, oh, I heard you on chat, I will have forgot. I've got 8 billion things going. But if you follow up within 24 to 48 hours, 
right? Then people are going to remember you. You'll be top of mind and so forth. And so I really encourage people to follow up. It's, it's a lost art. Definitely. Yeah, and I always love it when I get uh, personal notes in the mail, you know, because the mail is another lost art. And, and when someone will take yes. time to write a handwritten note, that is, is just always amazing to me. You know, I, I think one of the challenges is that, that LinkedIn uh, actually makes it increasingly difficult to send that message um, because I'm finding more and more people aren't accepting open invitations. But if you go to the list of people that come up for a given name, you can connect there, but it doesn't allow you to customize the message. And and so, you know, technology, and, and this is something you and I talked about quite a bit when we were together, technology hasn't always kept pace with how we really behave in life. And and so we end up having to work around it. It's like I always tell people on my LinkedIn profile, it looks like I can't hold down a job. Well, it's because I've had a consulting firm for 20 years, and I put all of my consulting clients in as companies that I have worked for uh, so that I can connect to those people more easily, right? So we make right. technology work for us. You're, right, right, right. And it looks like you're bouncing from company to company, but these are all your clients. Exactly. Yeah, I've owned my company for 20 yeah. years, so uh, that's that's about as stable as it gets in this in this current uh, environment. So uh, again, just to recap, the first principle was startup, and and this was about right. giving giving more than you receive and thinking about others. And so the second principle um, is show up, and I know we jumped over to follow up, but but show up. Uh, talk to us just a little bit more about that, and then you know I think that puts well, the follow up I'm in context. I'm fond of saying that, uh, yeah, I'm fond of saying that 90% of your success in life is just because you show up. And Chicky, we developed a relationship because you showed up here in Utah. We developed some things. We're working on some things together now, et cetera, et cetera. But you just got to be present, right? I, I, I'm thinking of the guy in the hula hoop, com- or it wasn't a hula hoop, jump rope company. Uh, he came up to me last night, introduced himself. He has a daughter that's 18, a daughter that's 15. They're trying to raise money to go around the world. His daughter, 15-year-old daughter, is the world uh, jump rope champion, right? Well, she deserves to have, you know, something for that, you know? And so I'll help them out. But had that guy not shown up last night, he would have never met me. Right. And we all have things that we're going on and doing in our lives. You just got to show up. Uh, my, I guess my greatest story of that is in 1985, you mentioned my dad earlier, he passed away on my mother's birthday, September 15, 1985. And when he did, I came to Utah to settle some things in, uh, the family, uh, estate, you know, we had a home that we had to split up among the kids and these sorts of things. And I, I had four sisters that lived in Utah. So I came up and I was, uh, in Utah and I was driving down interstate 15, and as I was driving down I-15 uh, between Salt Lake and Provo, Utah, I saw a big sign off the side of the freeway. It said Novell. Now, I knew Novell as a really hot uh, company in the networking space, computer networking space. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, I'm based in the Silicon Valley. And so, you know, I kind of just passed through my mind. And I got to the next exit, and I said, you know what? I'm getting off the freeway. I'm going to go see what's going on over there. <laughs> I turned the car around, go back a mile to the north, got off the freeway at 8th North and Orem, drove over to where the Novell headquarters sign was, walked in, 
And the receptionist, who to this day is a dear friend, Carol Carlson, she looks up and she says, oh, who are you here to see? I says, well, I'm here to see the president of the company. Now, she was kind of stunned, and, and she says, well, okay, well, let me see if Mr. Norda, I didn't even know the man's name. Oh, my Mr. gosh. Mr. Norda is around. And so she went back, and as she was going back, get this, Chickie. Now, I'd been in the computer industry for about five years in a legal capacity. So she now goes back, and she's finding Norda, and I stand up, and I'm looking around the uh, entrance lobby there, and I see, you know, uh, these awards that the company had won for their technology, and I saw something over to the right side that said job board. So I walk over to the job board just out of curiosity, and it said shipping and receiving clerk, marketing specialist, corporate legal counsel. No way. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Three Unbelievable. weeks later, I was legal counsel from Novell and then moved my family from California to Utah. And, you know, and so when you reflect on the stuff that had to happen for that to happen, first I had to show up at those Novell headquarters. So if you have an inkling to walk in someplace, maybe you need Do to it. follow it. <laughs> That is an amazing story. I don't, I don't know that I have ever heard a placement story quite like that. And so Ray, right. Ray took the meeting, obviously. Oh, yeah. So he came out uh, and he said to me, oh, well, who are you here to meet with? And I said, well, I, I wanted, I've heard a lot of great things about this wonderful technology company that you're building. And uh, he says, now, what do you do? And I says, well, I'm a lawyer, and I, I noticed that you have an opening for corporate legal counsel, and uh, I'm interested in joining a fast-growing technology company. He said, well, come on back. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so we sat down. He loved the fact that I also had a master's in business administration, and uh, that was September, probably late September, and uh, by October 15th, uh, we'd taken the job and moved the family with our four kids out of Southern California and back here to Utah and then had a wonderful 15-year run at Novell. People don't realize it, you know, uh, but at one point, Novell's market value on the stock exchange exceeded that of the five major United States airlines combined. Amazing. So. Pretty yeah, I think I first encountered Nobel. I was at Sabre. I was at American Airlines Sabre. Oh, uh, yes, exactly. They were one of our great customers. Yes, absolutely, yeah, because we were early pioneers. Uh, well, in fact, I was a Mac user when the PC actually uh, was developed. And, sure. and of course, with the P- they went with PCs because at the time Macs weren't considered business computers. And of course, they right. had to figure out the whole networking side of things, and they didn't have the the talent internally. So uh, Novell ended up becoming a, a big business partner. Absolutely. Yep. I remember I negotiated uh, some of those uh, Saber American Airlines Novell contracts. Well, so after that meeting, you must have done principle number three, which was to follow up, uh, or you wouldn't have sure. been able to get that job. So again, you, you used your, your instincts to show up, you used your, your good sense to follow up, and then the next thing that happened, uh, and again, uh, it's probably not the perspective that you write about in the book, but principle number four is to link up. And, and you know, I'm talking about the physical linking up with, with a new job and a new place to live and new friends. 
but linking up in the book, you're you're talking about uh, you know actually connecting to people in in a real material way. Yeah, no, that's so essential to me. I, I uh, what's been so gratifying is I, I look at the people that have endorsed my book from uh, the uh, from Larry King, right, the king of interviewing, and Eric Schmidt, the chairman of the board of Google, and Mitt Romney. Uh, presidential candidate, uh, Steve Young, NFL Hall of Famer. And I look at those people, and I'm just amazed that they would take the time out of their day to even write an endorsement. And so I think it's as it goes to what you were saying. I think people understand I'm sincere about connecting with them. And when you show sincerity and uh, that sort of thing, it, it goes a long way. And so the other aspect I would emphasize about linking up, not only do it in a personal way, but create categories. And that's one of the things I go into in some depth in my book. Oh, and you told me um, a story about this, about how you started way before the Internet to categorize (laughs) the people that you met. Well, you know, you got to write them down on a sheet of paper, and then we, you know, uh, word processing, and I started doing that via word processing by, you know, just putting people in categories like accounting or sales or finance, et cetera. And so I would have a sheet of paper that I could pull up quickly from time to time on my word processing. But now, you know, we've got these other massive methodologies in terms of email. So if you use Gmail or Yahoo, you can get, create groups, groups and categories. You can even create groups and categories within Facebook. And so all my Facebook friends, my 5,000 Facebook friends, they're categorized. And so when I need to reach out to a venture capitalist or uh, I'm hiring someone in the sales area or finance or wherever it might be, I've got my group of, you know, say two or 300 accountants and finance people at the ready that I can send a blast email out to or scan that list to determine, hey, is there anybody on this list that I want to do business with? So the creation of those categories, it takes time, but when you get in the habit of doing it, every new connection, you put them in your email category, whatever it might be. And uh, I'm telling you, that's turned out to be just a massive blessing and a, a big help to my networking efforts. And and so other than, than the categorizing in, in Facebook, are, are there any other tools that you use that, that help you do that? Well, just an email. So if you're in Gmail or Yahoo or Hotmail, uh, you're able to create categories or groups within each one of those. And I actually, those are the groups and categories I use most. Now, there's some third-party CRM packages, customer relationship management uh, tools, but I I just use the things that I use every day. I don't like to go to a different database. So, you know, if I want to print out a list of 200 folks in, in marketing, I just go to my email group, click on that, and boom, my marketing people uh, connections come up and I can print that off and do whatever I want. Or blast Amazing. Email that yeah. Group. You know, it's, it's so funny. I, I had been for years, uh, you know, kind of stuck in, in the Microsoft environment. And I know you, you've, you've had a long history between Novell and Microsoft. Um, yes. But, but uh, I kept getting uh, bitten by Outlook to where, you know, th- they have uh, this thing where their database will grow exponentially and they never tell you it's going to blow up until it does. 
right? Oh so gosh. it can get to 10 gigabytes, and then all of a sudden one day everything's gone. And that had happened to me three different times in the last 10 years. Oh so gosh. I finally determined I was going to move to Gmail, and I'm having uh, the biggest struggle in, in doing that because, you know, you really do become accustomed to, uh, in particular, to the integration uh, of tools. So and I'm always too, curious too as to what, what tools people use to keep themselves organized because, um, you know, I find that the people who are able to keep track of the, these things do have somewhere where they're keeping track of these these personal things that you talk about, so that that you can connect emotionally, but but in a way that that really makes sense. Like even today, I was talking to someone, and I asked them what their child's name was, and. You know, in the past, I would have just asked, and they would have said, and then five minutes later, I would have forgotten. And then the next time, I right. wouldn't have been able to ask them specifically about their child. And and I did right. take the time to write it down, but then I realized it wasn't in a place where when I speak to them the next time that it will actually be there. So, um, you know, I'm always curious about how people do that. Now, you also talk uh, about measuring success um, in in your networking and and in linking up with people in terms of of the impact and I, I'm assuming that this ties back to your first principle that you have to be able to measure how you've impacted them not just how they've impacted you. No question and um, you know but I I mostly um, you know uh, keep track of. Uh, the, the impact that we have on other people. I I like to talk about my 60-30-10 rule, 60-30-10 rule, and it's simply this. 60% of the success of any company that you're going to be involved in is going to be related to the people that you surround yourself with. It is a people business. I don't care how technologically deep it is. Only 30% of the success of the company relates to the products or the technology. So 60% to people, 30% to products mm. or technology, 10% to dumb luck. And, um, you know, I find that the harder you work, the more you give, the luckier you become. When I met Steve Wozniak uh, back in 2008, I was doing a favor, a favor for a neighbor whose son-in-law had asked me to come speak at an event in Sun Valley, Idaho. It was a six-hour drive one way. But I wanted to be nice to my neighbor and drove up, did this gig for his son-in-law, uh, and lo and behold, at that same conference was Steve Wozniak. And I happened to sit right next to Julie Roebuck, a young lady who, it uh, turns out, was Woz's executive assistant at the time. Again, lucky? Well, I showed up. Was I lucky that I got the job at Novell? Maybe, but I showed up. And the more you show up, the harder you work at these things, the luckier you're going to become, and the more impact that you're going to have on the lives of others. I would also remind your listeners that it's not just about a great idea, right? Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari and the founder of Chuck E. Cheese, of all places, uh, is is fond of saying that, Everybody who's ever taken a shower has had a great idea. It's the person that gets out of the shower, towels off, and then does something about it that impacts the world. And so be a doer, not just a dreamer. I love it. I love it. 
So, uh, again, you've got the very practical game plan at the end of that. And one of the ones that I love, uh, just because it's, it's such a, a uh, common thing for people to be sharing the mundane on social media, I love it that you say, tell, tell them something that might change their life and make it personal and get to know people above you and below you. And so not being so, um, you know, so afraid of the hierarchy uh, above or below you and reaching out to people who you think won't accept uh, that call. So the next principle, David, and and I know that you are such a stand-up guy, so this just makes so much sense. You're talking here about reputation and and yeah. what people believe about you and and again the internet has has become such a a mishmash of of people sharing things that you know really aren't appropriate and i've got teenage kids and i know you've got uh grandkids and and older right. children and you know just understanding how important re- reputation is and that all it takes is one misstep sharing one thing um, you know that that really uh, can damage that forever. So you talk yeah. about standing up and standing up for your your beliefs and your principles and your ethics, and and so let's talk about that a little bit. Well, yeah, and I uh, this is really fundamental to the whole thing. And, and note that what we talked about today are what I call them timeless principles. The technologies. Chicky will change, right? Those databases that you use, our email functionality. Now we have texting. We have all these modalities that we use. Those things will change over time. What doesn't change are building and fostering lasting relationships. And people are only going to want to do people or do business with people that they have a belief in, people that they know have integrity and character and honesty. And so you could listen to all of my stand-up and show-up and follow-up principles all day long. But if in your personal life you're not a stand-up person, the rest of the stuff isn't even worth talking about. You've got to be a person whose handshake matters. And that's said from a lawyer. You know, uh, People have got to know that you're going to stand by your word. And so be a stand-up person. Right, and really in investing in your credibility. And, and one of the things that I share uh, with groups when I'm talking about building particularly your online reputation is, you know, everything that you post doesn't have to be original information. But, but if you are an expert on something, talking about that or posting articles and commenting on those uh, about your perspective. And again, you talk about standing up for what is right. And, you know, I'm, I am a very, very vocal uh, uh, person about the status quo in, in my industry, which happens to be the travel industry. And I get right. so frustrated, uh, you know, with the way that things have always been. And, and our industry, quite frankly, although it has moved from, you know, airline systems to travel agency systems to consumer systems, uh, it's all still done exactly the same way. So I, I stand up for that on every occasion possible <laughs> in every yeah. possible medium. And, and then, of course, I've, I've stepped out and done something about 
about it, that I, I've built a solution for it. But, you know, you, you say at the conclusion uh, of this chapter that being credible is all related uh, to how you come across to others. And so the things that you choose to post and repost and, and yes. the quotes that you post, one of the things I love about how you behave on, on Facebook. I mean, we get to follow you, you know, around Europe as, as you're going to meetings with, with your <laughs> wife and we get to see your pictures. But, but you also take time to, uh, give us encouraging stories about athletes and, and, you know, just about all the people you encounter. And you know the kind of people that only post, like you'll see some post about someone who's hurt somebody, and, and you know immediately they've just gone through something bad in their life. But right. you know, being an encourager is is just one of the things I love about you. And it's clearly, again, I don't think that you say, okay, I'm going to set out to be encouraging today. No, it's just who you are, so you're being authentic in that. I like to find interesting quotes that encourage us all in our lives. And when I see something that resonates with me that day, that's going to impact my life that day, I like to post it. And and here's a general rule that I, I advise people. 80% of the stuff that you post on LinkedIn or Facebook, you should post with the eye of helping somebody else. It's an article. It's an interesting quote. It's something that is going to make an impact perhaps on their life. 20% should be business related. You know, we all want to sell, sell, sell what we're doing. But I will tell you, if people only hear about your expertise in the travel industry or your, you know, this, that, and the other, where you're trying to sell them on it, or my computer technology, if I talk all day long about HireVue and my 3D virtual world technology and so forth and so on, they're going to get sick of it and they're going to shut it out. But if you're posting 80% of stuff that is interesting, helpful, useful, then the other 20%, they're going to go, oh my gosh, he's also doing some business as well in virtual 3D learning. And, you know, so people will stand up and take notice. And so I kind of go by an 80-20 rule just in general uh, in terms of my postings, both on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and the like. Great. So moving on to principle number six is scale up. Tell us about that. Well, that's all about hard work. The word network is not net eat. It's not net socialize. It's not net goof off. It's network. And so people listening to this, you've got to understand that it takes some level of time and commitment to do this and to do it right. And you're never going to be, you know, no one's ever world class, you know, um, you know, right out of the box at anything. It takes time. Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule that he talks about in Outliers takes 10,000 hours to be world class at anything. And so it just fundamentally, you've got to set aside time to do this. And I'm every morning on, you know, LinkedIn, on Facebook, you know, just as my natural normal thing. And I'm making little posts, little statements. And Chicky, you do a great job doing the same thing. And I've appreciated, you know, when you'll post something and then you'll tag me, especially when it's something that is interesting. Some guy just tagged me on something uh, this morning. Gosh, I haven't seen this guy for 20 years, and it's about the early days of Novell, and it's a, a netware box, and uh, you would appreciate this. And it was like, 
oh, this is great. You know, this brings back so many great memories. And so I don't mind being tagged and stuff like that. Where I hate being tagged is when someone's trying to promote a product or a service out there. Right. And it's not one that I use, but they tag my name and so they can use my notoriety or whatever it might be in order to promote what they're doing. That's just unfair and it's not right. Right. So scale up. Takes mm -hmm. hard work, time, commitment. That's my last principle. Right, and you're you're also talking in this chapter about uh, building teams and and building an advisory board and and really finding those people who can give give you the kind of advice that you need. And one of the things that I was doing when I was out in Utah, uh, you know, was was adding uh, one of one of your friends. Uh, John Richards uh, to my advisory board, and and so I had come out to meet him, and and was fortunate enough to bring uh, to meet a number of other people uh, as part of that trip, and you know, through that, it, it and meeting you, of course, I now know so many people in Utah, and you know, a month and a half ago, I knew nobody. <laughs> I mean, I've got a niece well, who really? lives who lives a little bit uh, south of you, but other than that, I knew almost no one in Utah. So the network actually beget a whole new network, and, and so it opened right. up not one relationship, but many. Right. No, absolutely. So not only do you have to work hard, you have to work smart, and that's what you're doing. And so when I talk about working smart, there is not a CEO on planet Earth that can do it all. Sometimes we look at the CEO of IBM and we think, oh my gosh, that guy must be the smartest dude in the entire world, or the CEO of American Airlines or AT&T, whatever it might be. There is not one of those people that has skills in finance, marketing, technology, networking, you know, strategic alliances, business development. None of them has expertise in all of those areas. Every one of us needs to backfill where we are weak. And so don't be shy about reaching out to people. I just added to the advisory board for our 3D virtual world technology a young man named Tim Donor, D-O-N-E-R. Look him up, folks, Tim Donor. Tim is the world's youngest hyperpolyglot. Oh, I remember seeing his profile. Right. He, he speaks... Well, a hyperpolyglot is anyone that can speak seven or more languages, right? He speaks 20. Wow. He's 19. He's in the second year at Harvard. And so as we're driving forward with our 3D virtual e-learning language training technologies, I wanted to bring aboard a brand ambassador. And I found Tim. And lo and behold, he'd had an experience. He born and bred in Manhattan, right? But one summer, when he was 14, he came out to Provo, Utah, and spent the summer working uh, or learning Middle Eastern languages. And so when I called him up to say, hey, would you like to be on my advisory board? Well, this is after a couple of initial visits. He says, are you right. kidding me? I love Provo, Utah. You know, <laughs> this kid out of Manhattan going to Harvard. So you never know, And uh, but you got to work smart. So find people that you can surround yourself in your business that are going to add great value to what you're doing. Well, and as you mentioned, David, these these principles aren't trends, okay? These are timeless 
principles that work as well offline as, as they do online. And, you know, I started out sharing, you know, my fear of walking into a, a room of people that I don't know armed only with business right. cards. And, you know, it, it's so funny how we we get tied up in ourselves. And, and if we just uh, realize what freedom we'll get if we start looking at others rather than being you know, focused on ourselves and whatever our needs were when we walked into the room. And whether that room is is a room, a group on LinkedIn or a group on Facebook or, or, or a physical room, uh, you know, I think that that just helps so much to, to look through these things. And, David, if there's one other thing that you could share with everyone, what would it be? Well, at the end of the day, I think, Chicky, people have to focus on doing um, I've always made that a practice. Uh, I just think that the world needs dreamers. The world needs doers. But most of all, the world needs dreamers that do. Mm. And so in the end, it's great to have wonderful ideas and whatnot. But ideas are not intellectual property. They're, they're not something uh, that you can protect. Ask the guys that started Facebook, Right. Zuckerberg, to his credit, and I don't know the early days of all of that, and I've seen the movie, and we've all seen the movie The Social Network, where he kind of ripped off supposedly the idea from these two twins. Well, they came up with the idea, but he executed on the idea. Yes. And so it's the people that execute and do that really change the world. And so you dream all day long, but get out of that shower and do something about it. Absolutely. David, it has been great to have you on the show today. Again, the book is called Up Your Game, Six Timeless Principles for Networking Your Way to the Top. And David, you mentioned that people could follow you on LinkedIn. Uh, is that the best place to reach you if, if they have questions or would yeah, like to reach just, out? Yeah, not just follow me, but actually reach out and, and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm happy to do that. And uh, answer any questions. I, I do my best. Obviously, very very busy, but um, I'm maxed out on Facebook, so don't try to connect with me there. <laughs> oh, so LinkedIn I got in just under the that. wire, apparently. <laughs> you did. No, and that tells you a little bit how impressed I was with you because uh, <laughs> I I have to delete somebody in order to put somebody oh. in. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> well, my apologies so. to the person you had to delete, but I'm glad I got in. <laughs> Yes, congratulations. Back well, terrific. Fun. Well, again, it has been terrific talking to you, and, and I, I'd like to just mention very quickly uh, that for our listeners who would like to know a little bit more about the Executive Girlfriends Group, just go to executivegirlfriendsgroup.com, and all of our previous shows, we've done over 400 interviews uh, like this directed at the executive audience, and uh, we would love to have you join us there, or we do have a private Facebook group. And, David, it has just been such a joy uh, to reconnect, and I, I know we're going to have another show with your wife, and I can't wait to get that scheduled. Uh, our audience is primarily executive women, so so they do love to hear stories uh, about people like your wife who uh, are really watching their dreams unfold, and I know you're you're right by her side helping her to make that happen. I'm the biggest fan. And, uh, and, but, but if people also, I, when you say, I 
if they want to go to my Facebook or my Facebook page, I've got a fans page. I also have my website, uh, www.davidbradford.com. And if people want to contact me through there for speaking engagements or whatever, oh, I'll typically terrific. go. And if someone wants to buy a couple hundred bucks or something, I'll typically waive my speaker's <laughs> fee and so forth. So it'll, it's, uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. Well, terrific. Thanks. Well, I can't Sticky. wait to get to the other show, um, so uh, I'll have uh, my producer okay. give you a call. But uh, just want to thank you again, and David, we will be connecting again soon. Okay. Thanks, Shiki. Bye now. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Thank you.